This call is now being recorded. Should I just say the thing? Yes. We lost our friend, Dr. Amy Harwick, on February 15, 2020. The details of how are extremely sad and well-documented elsewhere. We put up a Dr. Amy page on our site with information and resources. We are circulating an important petition at justiceforamy.com, and we are keeping tabs on legislative progress. But we don't know if or when we'll ever be able to discuss what happened. Right now, at least, it is far too painful. It would be impossible, though, to continue this podcast without acknowledging the monumental shift in our lives that losing our friend has created. So we will each say a few words, Vera. The prospect of grieving publicly for Amy made me want to end this podcast. Despite the very personal stories Barbara and I share, I am most comfortable keeping my big feelings to myself, especially the sad ones. And I'm not even close to coming to terms with my friend's death. I already know I will never have closure. Her life was clipped so abruptly that I still feel her momentum. Her work with us on this project was just beginning. She had new books already picked out and I cannot understand how she won't be here to continue. She wanted so much to help others. And it's obvious that any ascent through darkness will only be possible by doing the same. This podcast has always been about feeling less alone in the sadness of lost love and about finding happiness within yourself. It is a comfort that in that respect, nothing has changed. And I'm going to read a little piece that I contributed to Lena Lacaro's article on Amy for the LA Weekly, which we will also include a link to, as well as the Rolling Stone article on Amy. Both of those, we feel, do her justice. Um, Right, Vera? Yes. Okay. It's expected that you would gaze back at your friend through a glowy, perfecting gauze once she's gone. It's far rarer to find yourself gazing right at her in a similar light, but that was my experience of Amy while my sister and I recorded a conversation with her recently. Classically beautiful and timelessly elegant, why, yes, she was. But did she have to elevate it all to such ridiculous heights with that perfectly irreverent wit, that effortless eloquence, that impossible to manufacture authenticity? Add to the list of flawless ability to pare down and articulate psychological concepts for all of us so desperate to know what she learned in her therapy practice, as well as her generosity in sharing this wealth of intelligence, and you get a sense of why she dazzled. She talked nonstop for the duration of our recording, and she was pure grace. With this, we are going to get into our next episode. We really wanted to pick a book that was uplifting. Mm-hmm. and about friendship. Um, we, this is actually our, our second stab at a podcast, our, our other attempt at, at uh, being uplifting and, you know, quickly descended into darkness yeah. and anger and uh, crying. So I don't know. Maybe we'll release that sometime, Vera. Um, it's, yeah. uh, but now's not the time. So here we go. Dady Lady Hi Barbara Ann Hi Vera Elizabeth Ooh, Ooh you sound, sound a little different. different Well why is that? Because we're 
um, sequestered. We're on telephone. We're trying to be responsible, and we're not leaving our homes Mm-mm. because of a coronavirus. Yeah. So what, are you, what have you been up to? You came up with this idea to talk on the phone. Bravo. Have you been prepping for this or what? Uh, yeah. The book that we picked out, we picked out a nice book. We kind of wanted to get back to basics. We picked out Everything I Need to Know I Learned from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, which mm-hmm. is a very gentle, sweet book. It's Sunday. Is it Sunday, March 15th? Something like that? Yeah. It's the Ides of March. Ides of March. So I've been home now. I did not go to work on Friday, so I've been home. This is my third day home, and my son and husband are also home. And I thought I'd go prep, so I said, okay, well, I'm I'm just going to go to the bedroom and read through this book one more time. My son, very helpfully, uh, decided he would join me. He brought with him an iPad and a notebook and a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. We Uh have white sheets, by the way. Yeah, peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Uh, He found our emergency radio because I went through our earthquake backpack to see what kind of food we had, um, Uh canned food. So he found the emergency radio, which he has tuned to a Mexican station. Uh So he brought brought some tunes as well. Uh Yeah. (laughs) So (laughs) he found the back. On our on our white duvet cover, and he ate his peanut butter yeah. and jelly sandwich. Good. At least he had a big napkin with him. Oh. He had a giant napkin. Yeah, don't <laughs> don't waste paper towels because there are none in the market. But That's you know true. what I mean. So he he helped me out there. So we were yeah. So we were together. So I read a little bit, and then I then I just kind of sat there and just I just enjoyed what was happening. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds very very cute. It was really, it was very helpful. That reminds me of one of the most poignant little snippets of this book, which, let's see, some info on the book first, written by Mr. Rogers. Is it? Um, no. <laughs> it's written by, off to, off to a good start. Um, <laughs> it's written by Melissa Wagner, illustrations il- by Max. Dalton. This quote is in the Mr. Rogers documentary, too, and it seems to be the number one quote that people who've seen it, and I don't know why, but almost everyone has seen it on a plane and cried on a plane while watching it. <laughs> that's what, That's great. That's what you yeah. want to do. But this, this is the quote that everyone seems to remember the most. It's in here about the helpers. When I was a boy and I would see scary things in the news, my mother would say to me, look for the helpers. You will always find people who are helping. To this day, especially in times of disaster, I remember my mother's words, and I'm always comforted by realizing that there are still so many helpers, so many caring people in this world. And I think that's true now for things like social media, too. And it doesn't have to be a disaster, but it can be, I don't know, a lot of things, like someone just going on uh, Facebook and saying that they're having a hard day. And most of the responses from people seem to be really generous, I think. Yeah, um, I've, which is, I've seen that a lot. Well, you yeah. wanna, uh, where would you like to go? Well, you know, this is Dady Ladies, so we could mm-hmm. start in the beginning. The book talks about loving yourself, mm-hmm. and I think... That is a very important starting point for anyone who wants to get into a relationship or have friends or be a good person. On page 20, it says, you are lovable. 
And the author says, before he left us for the day, Mr. Rogers gave us the same kind of affirmation. You make each day a special day by just being you. And through these feelings of appreciation and acceptance, we could grow and learn, feeling comfortable enough to allow ourselves to make mistakes and take risks. We could believe that we are valuable and we are worthy, even when we fall short of our goals. You don't have to do anything sensational for people to love you. You know, the note I put for that is, in fact, you shouldn't do something sensational to try and get someone to love you. Yeah. What do you think about that? <laughs> you mean you shouldn't jump through hoops? Yeah. Yeah. I think my like number one struggle with being a person is being myself. I think I've tried so much in my life to try to be what I thought other people would like me to be, and it's so confusing and damaging. Are you saying that you are not BB Poobell Super Estrella? Unlimited? <laughs> yeah. Actually, uh-huh. I think BB Poobell has helped me be more myself. Okay. Well, if you take this podcast, for example, I think I try and dig up the most embarrassing stories I can find about myself, and then I let my freak flag fly, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. It's very freeing. I have absolutely zero regrets about exposing these times in my life that were sad or difficult or make make me look bad because they're who I am. And um, Nothing illustrates and I, that more than your commercial that you did for Shaper Mint, which if our listening public has not had the pleasure of viewing it yet, it is on our website. It's not actually Shaper Mint where stretch stretchwear shapewear no it's my knockoff true yeah but she is putting it on and making some faces and it's a very convincing illustration of what a shaper mint ad should be look all i can (laughs) say is honey love is really giving shaper mint a run for its money honey love if you're interested in sliding us some shapewear we'll do a commercial for you too that's all i have to say (laughs) (laughs) to be completely serious though barbara that is your commercial. What do you want to call it? It was like my demo reel for Shaper Mint. You know, <laughs> I was for my Shaper Mint endorsement deal. I got to be honest with you. They flew me out to their headquarters. Um, they did? Yeah. They they have like this giant complex up in Marin County that's overlooking mm-hmm. a beautiful lake up in Marin County. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like mm-hmm. it's exactly the kind of place that you would imagine a Shaper Mint headquarters to be. Just like elegant. Everyone's, everyone's holding yeah. in their breath. Yeah. Yeah. No one can breathe. Uh-huh. They have these test labs you can walk by with these um, windows, and you see um, women in front of mirrors pulling up their shape of shapewear. Well, the um, windows are one-way mirrors, and they're yes. all just smiling like lunatics into these one-way mirrors as they pull their guts into their shaper mints. Right? Yes. Exactly. And then there's people with clipboards and lab coats, so they're, really, they're taking a lot of data. Um, mm-hmm. So I spoke with the CEO, um, and she said, look, um, we're going to sue you if you don't stop doing this. So they put me back on a plane. <laughs> I mean, I'm assuming this is a few weeks ago because coronavirus, like, you wouldn't get on a plane for – now you wouldn't do that. I couldn't talk about this for a while, so – now, well, now, I appreciate you sharing it now. But I think I think what you were referring to is me um, showing that I have flabby belly skin from giving birth to um, some children. And I was actually – I did kind of gauge the response of the public. You know, I was curious because I did want to know whether or not this might be a viable option to um, live off of. And ladies found it funny. This, this career. Uh-huh. This career, yeah. And men had mixed reactions. Uh and I don't care. I, I don't know. I, 
I mean, there's a there's a couple reasons I don't care, but I don't think anyone should care. Actually, before I got pregnant, I did have visions of like, oh my gosh, what's going to happen to my body? It really did bother me that thought, and now I'm uh, I'm just so lucky to have a body that could support many children. So I'm happy. I was very worried too when I was pregnant. I got a little obsessed with like, oh, am I going to have stretch marks? And what's am I going to have to get reconstructive surgery afterwards? Try and get back to where I was before, and then that just became like the least of my concerns. I mean, I know a lot of women do struggle with trying to get back to whatever they think that they had before. And I completely respect that because it is a very strange thing to have your body change in such a way, even if it's in the service of bringing a human being into the world. But it also like, it also made me think like, wow, I've spent a lot of time in my life thinking about the way my body looks. And it's so arbitrary, the body ideal that even we grew up with, like in the 80s and 90s and into the 2000s with uh, very skinny people in Paris Hilton. Even that is completely switched, like within our lifetime, yeah. what the ideal is. And then to think that like a couple hundred years ago, the women that hate their bodies now, their bodies would have been ideal back then. It, it's, it's kind of infuriating to think that the way I feel about myself is just happens to be part of just the year I'm living in. Oh, wow. Yeah. True. That's kind of a ridiculous notion, like that I'm I'm going to waste time worrying about this just because I happen to be born in this particular year and not hundred years ago or two hundred years ago or whatever. That's that makes me angry. And also makes me want to just go, well fuck it. And do what? I'm not just, gonna like just get surgery. Yeah, and just get massive plastic surgery. <laughs> no, <laughs> it, it makes me it makes me want to stop it makes me want to stop thinking about it. <laughs> You do waste you know, a lot of time. I think women um, and men now, you waste a fuckload of time thinking about your body. The, the thing about pregnancy is that I've heard not many t people talk about, but enough people t that I haven't felt alone, is the thing that I'd rather focus on is just, you know, y you walk around in this thing, you know, your whole life, and you get a pretty good sense of what you appear to be or how you feel like you appear to be. And then all of a sudden it's redefined and there's so much stuff going on in your life that you have nothing to hold on to in a way. Yeah. So I, I get it from that. That's more of like an existential kind of view on it. But as far as wanting to fit into a mold, yeah, fuck you, media. My little plug, which I want to talk more about. Um, remember I was talking to you about that Gene Kilborn Killing Us Softly series? Yes. I don't want to get into it now, but I do want to mention, maybe we could put a link or something. There, there's three-part documentary series that has, has been shot over like the last 30, 40 years that I encourage anyone who's struggling with body issues to go take a look at. It really shines a light on why we feel like shit just for being us. It has everything to do with advertising and money. So that's the end of that. Let's get on to something positive again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, on page um, nine, mm -hmm. it says, you are special. Everybody's special in this life. Everybody you meet has something special to give and receive. Mm. And I really liked that it said to give and receive. Tell me why. Mr. Rogers, I think he is so great because he has a more nuanced version of, of what the message is that children's TV waters down to feed kids. Mm -hmm. it, he just takes everything just one kind of step further. And usually you're told to be, you know, to give. But to be told that you're special in order to receive something, I think is very important because you need to be able to receive love just as well as you can give it, you know, which goes back to uh, what we we're just talking about, actually, you know, how you feel about yourself and whether you feel like you deserve 
goodness in this world. I mean, it also suggests that maybe somebody who's in your life deserves to receive something from you and that it's part of your responsibility to treat other people well. Oh, yeah, totally. So it's not just enough that you're special and that people should be giving you something. You also need to give them something. And that can be friendship or it can be listening to somebody who's having some troubles. I know really listening. Yes, this reminds me, and I'm not going to get dark in the story because it can get dark and it's a story that we're going to tell in full at another time. But um, when I was in high school, I wanted to get some extra credits so that I could leave high school as quickly as possible. And a friend of mine told me about a peer counseling class that would give me five extra credits. I thought, I'm going to do this. So I took this peer counseling class, and it was the place that I was introduced to the concept of active listening. Do you know about active listening, Barbara? Vera, I would like to know what that is. Could you tell me? Well, the concept of active listening is listening to somebody speak and paying attention to it and remembering what they're saying and then When you talk, it would be a question that would help to maybe clarify what they're saying or repeat back to them what they're saying so that that person feels inclined to continue talking. What do you think about that? Actually, that's kind of a revolutionary idea. Can you tell me more about it? (laughs) (laughs) You pass. Yay. Okay. Yay. It is maybe the opposite. Hear me out on this one Uh of waiting for that person to finish talking so that you can tell a story that maybe is actively related but has only to do with you, which is what often happens. Yes. Yeah. Have you ever have you ever had that happen to you? Yes, of course. I've I think that happens a lot in general. I don't think yeah. it means that the person you're talking to is a bad person, but I think we're all kind of fighting to be heard and I don't think they're bad people either, as I, I say as I interrupt you. Um <laughs> I think I think it's a way for people to relate to each other by saying, yes, I hear your story and I have something that is similar to that story and I'm going to tell it to you so that we both have common ground. But it, I think it often has the opposite effect of bringing people closer. I completely agree. I, I think it's I'm also valuable or I'm valuable. See my value because I have mm-hmm. I don't I'm very, very sensitive to that. And it used to make me very angry, which is hard to do when you hang out with a bunch of stand ups because not only are you not being heard, but the thing you get back is a bit. Yeah. You get people um, running bits on you. Yes, it's infuriating and I No, it's supposed to be funny. <laughs> I know. But it I would take it personally. And yeah. I shouldn't have taken it personally. I'm genuinely interested in people in in most people mm-hmm. so i'm i'm the person who naturally asks more questions too i'm not saying that i haven't been an inactive listener what's the opposite of active listener a uh, jerk no yeah <laughs> <laughs> um but but I, i'm sure i have i have been a jerk but for the most part i think i'm someone who you, you, just my natural tendencies is to ask questions it's very rewarding to ask questions you can really get some very interesting stories about people by just asking them to elaborate on one little detail even if it's kind of mundane i enjoy that I don't like being yeah. talked at. I'll definitely say that. I don't like people monologuing at me. And I do feel the gauges if I know, like, somebody's complete history and they don't know anything about me and it's an acquaintance. Come on. Come on. Uh, though, Vera, I have to say, like, it's your responsibility to not have that person in your life anymore. Or the other thing is, I think most people, they don't mind if you just excuse yourself. 
you know, mm-hmm. like it doesn't affect them the way it would affect you if somebody, if you were talking and somebody said, you know, excuse me, or I'm going to get another drink or whatever. I don't think it bothers people because it, it doesn't um, serve the same purpose as it would for you if you were sharing something. I know. And I have to say, I've, I've actually been the person that people have walked away from because I think my nervous tendency is to keep asking questions. I actually really don't like being in social situations, especially with people I don't really know. So my mm-hmm. tendency is to keep asking questions, keep asking questions. And then finally, they're like, uh, okay, well, we've been here for 20 minutes. I'm Gonna, uh, and I, yeah. and I, I do feel bad when that happens, but I also feel like I, I kind of need your, I need to figure out a way to gracefully get out of conversations. That's kind of on me. Like, I don't know, I'm thinking of like a specific situation when I was at a, in a bar with somebody I hadn't seen for a while and didn't really know that well. And I was worried that she was going to be alone because all my, all my friends were like an inch away from me and I wanted to be in that conversation, but I felt like this girl was going to be alone. But at the end of the conversation, she's like, well, I should go call my sister. I'm like, she doesn't want to be in this conversation either. No, 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 no. Like she was meeting up with her sister, whatever. I'm like, I should have just done the natural thing and let her go because that would have been easier for both of us. Like she would have been okay. Yeah. People are okay. If you go, okay, well, I'm going to go get another drink or I'm going to catch, I'm going to see what my friends are up to or whatever. So anyway, that's something I'm working on. I think we can tie this back to the book because Mr. Rogers talks about the golden rule, but he also updates it a bit about treating people not just the way you would want to be treated, but the way they would want to be treated. Ooh, where's that? On page 39. This is part of the accepting all gifts with grace. And his quote is, being kind is trying to think what somebody else might like and trying to help them with it. And then I wrote, at least offer. And then I also wrote, not the golden rule. Because our generation and almost every generation up until recently, I think, was raised with this golden rule idea where you treat somebody the way you want to be treated. Mm-hmm. And I love that we are becoming so aware of all the differences and all the personal experiences of people around us, at least yeah. in Los Angeles. I don't know. Um, but I, I think the Internet is helping with that as well. Like, you know, you can watch someone like um, – Oh, oh, Nikki Tutorial? Yes. 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 Or um, I'm naming two trans women, but also um, ContraPoints. But you get a real personal experience for something that you may never experience yourself, Mm -hmm. or you may not have a really close friend who's had this experience. But here you can watch someone talk about their family and the intricacies of this unfolding experience for them. And you really get a sense of what, you know, how someone else would want to be treated. And I just think that's so brilliant because it's deadly to treat someone the way you want to be treated, I think. I mean, there's some general niceties that you can use, like don't physically harm somebody. After that, I think it's really difficult to guess at how someone wants to be treated. Yeah, it's nice that people now are just able to say, this is the way I want to be treated. And it's your responsibility to listen. It's everyone's responsibility to listen to that (laughs) and just not make up their own ideas. Yeah. I have something on 66 that I liked. Feelings don't last forever. And his quote, well, it's actually Daniel Striped Tiger's quote, people's tears are like stars because they're always there, but they just come out when people get sad or angry. Um, I I do find that an interesting image, like the the tears are just sitting in your tear ducts, just waiting Mm -hmm. to come out. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I... uh, you know, I talk to my son a lot about crying because he, I, I was a big crier when I was little. Nothing's changed. Um, and I encourage my son to cry a lot. And he does cry a lot. And part of that is, you know, crying releases stress. So 
it's healthy to cry. I don't give any Fs about boys crying or cry baby this or keep it in or don't make a big deal out of it. I think crying is so good. Do you cry, Barca? Yeah, I cry a lot. I mean, I think we're probably the same kind of crier, although that's changed recently for me uh, with um, EMDR. Um, Which is an industrial band from the 90s, right? Yes. <laughs> yes. What is EMDR? <laughs> We did talk about it in our last podcast for a moment. Would you like to refresh us? Oh, boy, EMDR. Okay, would you say, Vera, that it feels like you have just, like, this unending well of sadness that is on a hair trigger? Um, I don't know if it's sadness so much as anxiety. I have a lot of anxiety. Well, yeah, no, sad. you mean, like, about everything? Yeah, like about the whole world all the time. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes, sorry. <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> Sorry, I got confused I, for a second. Yeah, I, I, for we've we've both been like super criers our entire lives, and it's not socially acceptable. Thank, thank you for putting it that way. But yes, uh, yeah, I mean anything with anything not one million percent positive, but also very positive things will make me cry. I think though, um, with EMDR, I'm processing a lot of stuff that happened throughout my life, a lot mm -hmm. of stuff that I'm still emotionally tied to. And uh, what EMDR, um, it was developed for veterans with PTSD and, you know, something like hearing a door slam, there's an emotional connection mm -hmm. to an explosive. And the point of EMDR was to disconnect that emotional response from that experience. So I've gone through and talked about all these things from my life. And now I don't have that same emotional response. I'm still processing information. It's very freeing because once you cry in, say you're talking to your boss about something that bothers you. If you start crying, even if it's a woman, your credibility, unfortunately, starts to get muddled. And yeah. I have no problems with crying. I don't think it's a bad thing, but I think it interferes with your success and your ability to express yourself. And that society, stupid society, that's not you. And it's not, no. it's not a comment on you, but that people see crying as weak. Yeah. Wouldn't it be amazing if your tears were colors? Like you can drive around in your car just crying your head off over something, which is one of the best ways to, I think, get a really good cry in. But, like, you know, because no one has to hear you crying or see you crying. Like it's a private kind of thing. Say you live in an apartment building and you really want to wail. Chances are you're mm -hmm. going to get away with it more in your car. But if you had, like, black streaming down your face... Well, you can't achieve that with the correct mascara, but I would prefer True. it because you can't yeah. take the goth yeah, like out of the mascara. <laughs> um, anyway. Oh, what, if there, what if there are different colors depending on whether they're, they're like happy tears or sad tears or scared tears? Oh, or Yeah. Like you're looking very blue today. Yesterday you yeah. looked kind of orange, but that looks better. <laughs> but. Well, I you might like to know that feelings don't last forever. Mm -hmm. Strong feelings can be scary. For children and for adults, we can be overwhelmed with emotion and feel unable to control our own responses. Mr. Rogers regularly reminded us that all our feelings are natural, normal, and manageable. Oh, I just want to say, if they're not manageable, you need to see a therapist. Yes, exactly. Please get help. He talked about his own feelings as a child, and we knew he understood how children feel. He explained that though we maybe feel angry or sad for a while, we'd feel happy and glad again, too. And he gave us suggestions for how we could better manage our feelings. Barbara, do you have another section you'd like to talk about? I do. I have back on page 28, mm -hmm. there's loving mm -hmm. yourself, and there's a frightening drawing of a, I don't know, he's one of the, he's a king. I don't know who he is. He's Real quick, did we actually, did we watch Mr. Rogers when we were little? Because I know we watched some of it. I feel like it was in reruns, though, but that can't be right. Well, obviously, we didn't watch it when we were super young because we weren't in the country. I, I yeah. feel like the puppets would have been a turnoff for us because 
Yeah. We both have puppet phobia. And not like the funny, like, oh, my God, I hate, I do not like puppets. But, like, that's because we would go to Punch and Judy shows in England, and they're just hurt. They kill each other. I mean, yeah, it's not good. Anyway, so here's Loving Yourself. Mr. Uh-huh. Rogers helped us appreciate our unique selves. When we feel comfortable with ourselves, we can talk about our feelings and make deeper connections with people around us. Loving ourselves and valuing what is special in us can lead us to love and appreciate others. For this, I think, well, obviously, yes to all this stuff. But also, have you ever noticed that people who really get up in arms about something, especially on the Internet, or especially if they're religious leaders, it comes out that they have, like, whatever that problem is to the nth degree? Um, no, you wouldn't be referring to, for example, like, I don't know, priests who condemn homosexuality but have been engaging in said behavior themselves, that type of thing? Yeah, or um, like Bill Cosby, who would go around the country um, telling people how to live. I mean, I would like to say I'm not a therapist. First of all, I'm not a therapist, but I'm going to posit that anybody who really rails against someone else's behavior, one billion percent has a complete fetish for whatever that behavior is. (laughs) I I think I could win big if there was some type of stock market where you, the futures are, is that person going to jail or not? You know, like, can I wager that the person who, I don't know, yeah, I mean, usually has to do with sex, but some morality thing. I think you can just agree now that if somebody comes out against some type of behavior, what they're saying is, I engage in this type of behavior. And I hate myself. And I hate myself for it. I cannot come to terms with it. Therefore, I'm going to go ahead and say it's bad, uh, not for me, but for everybody else. You're just basically, so, so we're just agreeing that when you say that, you're just admitting that that's what you do. Absolutely. When you, when you hate something that someone else does, you know, we're, I'm sure we're adding ourselves for something by saying that because we have very strong feelings about certain things. We do. Um, it, it, I would say... Okay, either you've been personally affected, you've seen yourself or someone else suffer because of this thing, or, you know, it's your own little picadillo as well. I don't know. Well, well, I do agree with you. I think people who are affected by bad behavior, I think that often leads to action in trying to rectify that behavior, Yeah. you know, with other people. Like, um, I think when it's your own bullshit that you can't handle, you tend to just sort of condemn it in other people without actually doing anything to make it better. I mean, picking weird things like being gay, that's not a bad thing. Never has been, never will be. So what do you do with that when your religion tells you that it is? I guess you just get angry at it or something, right? I mean, what what do you do? Well, I, I guess it depends on how many tools are in your toolbox. You know, it, yeah. uh, some people process it and then are able to reshape their lives and then help other people escape that kind of oppression and then some people go and hurt other people hurt themselves and hurt other people um by suppressing it and you know expressing it in those ways it's the unexamined life i don't know if it has anything to do with brain chemistry intelligence or what well i think you could lose your community if your community disagrees with a fundamental element of your personality you know i don't think it's as easy as just going well fuck you community fuck you family I'm going to be me. I think that takes way more resources, not to mention a lot of courage, but support. And if you don't have any support, you know, what's easier? What's what's more reasonable for you? I don't know. I've never been in that position, so I can't possibly understand what that's like. And my heart goes out to people, but not when they make other people suffer. 
We're getting dark. Uh, here's here's a story then. Um, okay. Normally our format is, you know, we, we think of actual relationships we've had that have fit into the points that we're learning in a book. So I was thinking of friendships, and I just want to give a shout-out okay. to one friend What's in particular. Shout my shout-out is to um, my friend. I've known her since we were eight. Mm-hmm. Um, we both know her. Yeah. Um, it's Michelle. So I was going through diaries trying to find, like, old stories about my friends and the wonderful things that my friends have done. And this one particular friend, she was, like, my only friend with a car, right? Hell yeah. First, she hit this to how to take the bus um, from the valley into Hollywood and deep into Hollywood um, yeah. to go to like, Jabberjaw or Mad Hatter or whatever. The 420 that um, you could get on right behind the continuation school that was behind our high school. It would take oh, you all really? the way down to, which we didn't find out until much later. We took a second bus down to Ventura. It would drop us off on the corner of Hollywood in Highland, which, sorry to tell you this, was not always uh, where the Oscars were held. It was scary garbage central. <laughs> yeah. Which was amazing for little <laughs> punk kids. From um, the valley. Yeah. We were valley punks. There's a big difference. Anyway, yeah. so she, was, she hits us to that, and then she got... A uh, 1950s, like, big old, giant, awesome, vintage, no seatbelts, gas-guzzling <laughs> boat. When No headrest. No headrest, yeah. When she was done sneaking us out of her very conservative mom's townhouse and stealing her mom's car, she would shuttle us around in this gorgeous boat that she called Zephyr, I think. Um, uh-huh. And this is all at, like, do you remember, Vera, we got caught once? We did. Well, we, um, okay, so we would get out of her house by climbing off the balcony. So that the chain lock wasn't disturbed. Yes. The ins- yeah, on the inside of the door. Yeah. So we'd hop we'd off the balcony and then go do leave. And um, before she got her car, we would take the bus down to Pico and Fairfax or whatever it was um, with no ride home. Always relying the bus on. Because stopped at 2 o'clock. Exactly. Hello, 2 o'clock. You're too so, early for us. <laughs> So us 15-year-olds had to rely on whoever to bring us home. But then she got her car. And she drove us around a lot. She was that friend. She was my friend who um, got caught shoplifting. You weren't there for that, were you? No, but this is one of the times when I had, uh, when people ask me if I have a psychic connection to you. Uh-huh. Uh, this is this is a chilling story, but you told me that you and Michelle were going to go shoplifting. And then when you guys didn't make it back, like, by the time I thought you would, I had a premonition that you had been caught shoplifting, and it was just, <laughs> oh, my God. You should have you know. shared that with me because maybe it would have saved me. I didn't what? have the premonition until after it happened, so it was, I guess it was oh. a post-momission. I don't know how we got caught aside from the fact that we were four girls with a mohawk, bright red fringe, long purple hair, and long burgundy hair wearing docks in a maid company um, who disappeared mm-hmm. into a uh, changing room with like 20 sets of lingerie each and walking out with nothing. Um, underneath our big wool coats. If I recall correctly, though, you guys were actually talking about shoplifting in the... Oh, yeah, we're laughing about it. We were really dumb. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. But, but, you know, we're also very honest because while we were in the security office, we were asked lots of awful questions, including, like, if this is for our boyfriend. And then someone asked... Michelle, what her um, what kind of music she listens to, and of course she said, Jane's Addiction. (laughs) (laughs) Their hit single of the time (laughs) was called (laughs) "A Thing Called Stealing." Here's my here's my (laughs) my absolute favorite story though that really proves what a friendship we have. About let's see, nine years ago, 
she was living up north and I'm down here and we made a rare plan to go vacation together in Mexico. We're just, it was, we're just going to have this indulgent, uh, visit to a little coastal resorty place in Mexico and we bought tickets, spent quite a bit of money. And then, I don't know, like a month after our mom had something to tell us, which was that our dad had cancer. Yep. And then two weeks after that, uh, Michelle and I were scheduled to go on our um, vacation together. I don't know exactly what I said to her. Probably like I'm, we don't have to do this. Granted, I don't know if we bought travel insurance or what, but she was such a good sport about it and just said, no, we're doing it. And then we spent a week in paradise with me completely shell-shocked and out of my mind because I thought my dad had six months to live. So that's a real friend who doesn't make you feel bad and is completely supportive and just there. She was just there for me, you know. So yeah, that's a real special friend. Good work, Michelle. And she continues to be a good friend to us. Where did you guys see each other? I showed up to an exercise class. A kooky and exercise class, right? Cookie exercise class, and she is a um, like a higher up in the exercise class, and I hadn't seen her for a really long time, and she made me feel like a superstar. Oh, she stayed in the back with me, even though she was an expert, and we did some moves together. Thumbs up, Michelle. Thanks for being a good pal for all these years. This has been two twins talking about a good friend they've known since they were children. Is this a good way to end our podcast? I think so. What do you think? I think it is. Should we sum up this book? There's a lot of very valuable tidbits. As a mother, it's uh, a book that I recommend for yourself, but also to read to your kids because there's Indeed. a lot of really good stuff in there. Yeah. Yeah. I give it like a infinite amount of homemade sweaters. I give this an infinite number of a nightmare-inducing hand puppets who are actually good. Good-hearted, nightmare-inducing hand puppets. Yeah. Just an infinite number of them. Yeah, just just you open up your door and there they are. They're just streaming into your house or your apartment, and they're not going anywhere anytime soon. And they're not even on hands. They're just using, like, their little <laughs> legs to just move around somehow. Oh, God. Some legs? Well, the cloth doesn't actually support their very heavy ceramic heads, so they're just sort of, like, slither on the floor and then pop up on uh, the side of your bed. Okay. <laughs> Should we leave it at that? Yeah, sounds good. Yay! All right.